You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Truthfully, if you really have hope, if you have hope in Jesus Christ, you're going to feel like an alien sometimes. You're going to feel like you just don't entirely fit. And what we've been looking at for the last seven weeks as we've been studying Ezekiel together, and we conclude that this morning, is what it is that God does in and around us that allows us to take our neighbors to our leader, Jesus Christ. And our last commission here this morning as we look at this text is healing prayer. It's a great gift God gives his people. And I want to begin by showing you a dream. I want to take you outside our building, right here to the corner of 47th Street and 15th Avenue, and you would see, if you look closely, this placard. It says, Puget Sound starts here. It's right on the drain. Now, I know Puget Sound starts here. I want to confuse our, our sound guy a little bit. Just, uh, Jeff, show us Puget Sound. Okay, that is Puget Sound. Now, let's look at the drain again. Someone wants you to believe that Puget Sound starts here. And that is a stretcher. Uh, The implication is that there's some violation of the space-time continuum so that right there, right now, there is the beginning of Puget Sound. And you and I know what Puget Sound looks like. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It doesn't look like iron or cement or brick or candy wrappers or whatever else you're going to find as you uh, head out here this morning. But what I want to suggest to you is that God believes his restoration of creation begins here. Now, what you and I are doing right here in worship is a part of what God is doing in all of creation to bring about beauty that even exceeds this beauty in front of you here. Ezekiel is giving his people, God through Ezekiel is giving his people a vision of worship, of prayer, and it brings healing. Uh, If you've been reading Ezekiel all the way through from chapter 40 to our text here today in chapter 47, there's this picture of of a heavenly temple. And it climaxes with this vision. So I would like to invite you to open up your Bible to uh, Ezekiel chapter 47. Our text is verses 1 through 12. You find that, find that on page 714 of the Pew Bible. And uh, if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's Word aloud together. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the Word of the Lord. If you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's Holy Word. Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There was water flowing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. And the water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And the water was coming out on the south side. Going on eastward with a cord in his hand, the man measured 1,000 cubits. And then he led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured 1,000 and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured 1,000 and he led me through the water, and it was up to the waist. 
Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, mortal, have you seen this? And then he led me back along the bank of the river. As I came back, I saw on the bank of the river a great many trees on the one side and on the other. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah. And when it enters the sea, the sea of stagnant waters, the water will become fresh. Wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish once these waters reach there. It will become fresh and everything will live where the river goes. People will stand fishing beside the sea from Engedi to Engelam. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of a great many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. On the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. But they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. I hope you caught the promise in verse 8. The waters shall be healed. That's the way the King James Version renders the promise. The waters shall be healed. And that's a good translation of the Hebrews. Indeed, the water will become fresh, as our translation says, because this is a river that flows into the Dead Sea. But the Hebrew word is healing. The fresh waters that come from the sanctuary that flow out from beneath the threshold of the temple will heal. It's great ecological promise, but it's more than that because it inflames our imagination with a vision of life the way it's supposed to be. And it's given to a community that lives uh, with a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. They're living along the Chibar River. So it's not surprising that they have a vision of water. It's a canal, Ezekiel 1.1. These are the people who the psalmist tells us in Psalm 137 are by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down and there we wept. Ezekiel, this young man, lost his wife. He was married, but she died. Ezekiel, this young priest, has really lost his faith. There is no temple now. The Babylonians have destroyed it. Ezekiel has lost his home. And so in the midst of this loss, God says, I know what you see, the devastation of your life. Let me give you two images. And the first image is an image of devastation. It's the sea of stagnant waters. Do you know what sea that is? That's the Dead Sea. Some of you have, have been there. The Dead Sea is the lowest point of water on the face of the planet. 1,300 feet below sea level. Its salinity is between 26 and 35%. It's just been collecting toxins and, and collecting minerals. 
The reason for that is there are sulfurous springs that input, in addition to the Jordan River, into the Dead Sea. It's a very hot and dry place, so there's a constant evaporation. And most importantly, there is no outflow in the Dead Sea. And it will not support life. There's virtually no life in or around the Dead Sea, the Sea of Stagnant Waters. And the Israelites carry an understanding of that sea. And so here's a vision. It's the vision of the way things are as you sit in exile. No life. But the Lord says, let me give you another picture. Let me inflame your imagination. Can you visualize that scene of death transformed to the extent that every kind of fish teams and fishermen are shoulder to shoulder along the banks and they never deplete the stocks and there are trees along the edge and they never run out of fruit. It's always in season every single month and the leaves are for healing which is to involve the people in this vision. These leaves will touch and have therapeutic properties and restore not only the ecology, but you and human society. Take these two visions now. It doesn't actually happen in the lifetime of Ezekiel. I don't know if it will happen in our lifetime. But God says you are called to be a people who live with the both, with the death and the hope at the same time. Where does this hope come from? Well, I want to answer that question in, in, uh, in three ways. And I want to talk to you this morning about the source of the river, the current of the river, and the outlet of the river. First, let's look at the source. And here's my point, my first point. There's a healing power in prayer. If I were to take you back to this grate, you see... You'd stand there and go, Puget Sound doesn't start here. There's nothing significant here that has to do with the sound. But there is. This sign, if you've seen it before, calls you to action, doesn't it? It makes you think. And you go, wait a minute. I've got to be careful what happens at this juncture. My motor oil, my fertilizer, anything that I wouldn't want to put in the sound, I shouldn't put here. You see, there's something happening here. And in the same way, that's what Ezekiel is reminding God's people, that there is in the sanctuary something that happens that has global potential. The text tells us in verse 1, the water was flowing below the threshold of the temple. The, the temple has a building and then a courtyard. and This is talking about the inner building. And, and, and you didn't really go in that building. Uh, but you'd see water. It's as though the whole thing is just filled with water, living water. It's coming out of the, uh, out of the threshold. And then it's running down the hill, down into the Kidron Valley and east into the Arabah, the Great Rift Valley and the Dead Sea. But it starts in the sanctuary. I want you to think about your life. We have the way things are. We have this vision of the way God wants them. What about you? What do you want? For your life. Think about the good in you, in your community, in the whole world. What does it look like? The reason I ask you to visualize that is uh, I have uh, three teenagers. They're all working towards the end of the school year, which means they're all under deadline and they're wrestling with big projects, papers and exams. And we were praying about this in my small group, and one of the teachers in the group said, you know what we do with some of our kids when they struggle with, the, with these deadlines is we ask them to visualize the end and then to work backwards all the steps. You know, Imagine yourself handing the paper in to the teacher. What do you have to do before that? Well, you have to remember to put it in your backpack. What do you have to do before that? Well, you have to print it out. What do you have to do before that? Well, you have to write the paper and read, and uh, etc. 
So picture your desired future. What does it look like? But now, what steps do you think you need to take as you work backwards to get right here to this point and this time? See, that's the kind of question that Ezekiel is asking. And in Babylon, the answer to that question will be, it will have to do, undoubtedly, among Babylonians with uh, accomplishments related to money and sex and power. And we who live in the shadow of Babylon are tempted to take those same strategies into ourselves. But Ezekiel is saying, it's not that. It's none of that. What it is, is a practice and the place of worship. That's how you live with hope. There's a power uh, at work through the prayers of God's people as week after week, month after month, year after year, they assemble in the temple it's a, tr- it's a trickle of water that flows from the sanctuary into the world. God has committed himself to this power of prayer. The Garden of Eden is portrayed for us in many places in the Bible as a sanctuary. The temple that Solomon built, likewise, it's a sanctuary. And you may remember that after everybody had done their work, the temple was up and Solomon has this long prayer of dedication, fills with the glory of God. He puts his name there. And then Solomon uh, asks God to be at work among his people through this sanctuary. And he goes to bed and he gets a vision. And God makes a promise about the temple to Solomon and his people. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's like the Avengers, you know, there's a portal all of a sudden that goes into another universe and God says, I pledge myself by this place where I set my name in worship to be at work through your prayers to heal the land. Unless you think that's just an Old Testament reality, understand what happens when Jesus comes. Jesus comes among his disciples in Matthew 18. We read that he says the same promise is still at work uh, today. Again, Jesus says, I truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything and ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. And if you know the context of that in Matthew 18, he's wrestling with questions about church discipline or restoration and where those things are occurring. There's always conflict. Things are always ugly and and, and painful. And Jesus says, well, what you do at that time is you gather together two or three or more. And when you do, you are unleashing the power of heaven. And it seems so small. It just seems like a great. It just seems so insignificant here What could happen at the corner of 15th and 47th that would really matter today or for the whole world? And yet, God says, there's a power in worship. There's a church in uh, a basilica near Quebec called St. Anne de Beaupre. And I visited there a couple of years ago. And you walk in and um, you see crutches and walkers and canes all over the columns going all the way. The whole thing is covered. And apparently, the guy who built the... Um, Basilica, he himself had um, uh, a physical handicap. And the, and the story is that when he completed the temple, he, he, he was able to walk himself. And I walked in, and at first I was put off by it. I thought, oh, this is kind of hokey. But you know what? I, I, it, it began to charm me, and, and I began to believe that maybe, maybe God had been healing in this place. And look around this room and look at these walls and ask yourself if, if these walls could talk. I mean, what stories would they tell? Healing isn't always physical or flashy, but 
Jesus tends to want to heal us from the inside out. When they lower the paralytic, Jesus says first to him, your sins are forgiven. That's the deepest kind of healing. For this reason, we note that the water that comes from the temple flows by the altar. And there Jesus will someday take his, uh, upon himself our infirmities, Isaiah 53 says. For by his wounds we are healed. He reconciles us to God and opens up the possibility that we could find forgiveness. We could find love where our hearts are broken. We can be, yes, even physically healed. We can find freedom from our addictions and it happens through the power of prayer. It's the source. There's a healing power in prayer. Because the waters flow from the sanctuary, we read at verse 12. From the sanctuary right here. The second thing we learn about this river is, is the significance of its current. And my second point is that Jesus wants us to claim his healing personally. See, there's a healing power in prayer, but Jesus wants us to claim that healing personally. And this is you at that grade. In other words, it calls you to action. You, 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 you are not a, a bystander to, that, to, to Puget Sound, even at that grade. And neither are you a bystander to the kingdom of God right here. And I thank God that I'm not either. I'm here to be with you in this place because I need healing. And the preacher cannot exempt himself. And God says to Ezekiel, you, 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 Ezekiel, I want you in this water too. It's not just for all of creation. It's for you. And the text tells us in verse 3, he led me through the water. And perhaps you can't take much. And you only can take it ankle deep. And you're not even sure you believe in the power of prayer. And you're not even sure you believe in God. And that's okay. God doesn't need you. To believe in him. But he wants you to make yourself available to the possibility that he would lead you into the same healing stream and begin to feel its current and to be able to ask of him something and to see him come through and let that build your faith and give you the capacity to go deeper in the stream up to your knees and then maybe to your waist and to get the place where you realize I can be where I can't even swim because of God's grace. Look at how he carries me. Look at how he heals me. Several years ago, one of our members uh, named Don was at a Husky football game and he was making his way to the seat and uh, his knee got tricky. All of a sudden, there was a twinge of pain up his knee and it got worse and he was in Canada days later when it got debilitating. He got some codeine, which you can get in Canada, and uh, heavily medicated himself. And when he got back, he had an MRI done on this and they said, uh, you have... Um, uh, the blood is not flowing through your joint. The bone has died. And, and I got an email from, from actually from his wife, Linda, uh, this week. Because what he began to do was he began to pray that prayer, the text we looked at last week about the dry bones coming back to life. And, and he said, I know this is not what the text is all about, but I'm not so sure he's got that right. Because God healed him. Uh, and, you know, here's a guy who's sat in church for a long time and, and been around a lot of healing, but not really thought it's for him. In fact, his wife had signed him up for an Episcopal retreat. And, you know, you'd think the Episcopalians would be respectable and, uh, and nothing scary about that. But they, they believed in healing power of prayer. And they prayed for his knee that weekend. And he came back and uh, weeks later, it, by degrees, it got better. And the doctors couldn't figure it out. They, they had to take an x-ray and they looked at it and they go, my gosh, the blood is flowing. And we have no explanation for this. But you do. So don't sit and exclude yourself from whatever God it is that God wants to do for you. He's got you here this morning precisely because he wants 
to heal you. Jesus was approached by a blind man in Jericho, and, and uh, Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? I love that question because it's so nonsensical. Jesus, he's blind. <laughs> he wants to see. No, I mean, Jesus knows that, but he wants the blind man to answer the question. He wants you and me to tell Jesus what we need him to do for us. And you go, well, well, I've done that before, and he didn't answer my prayer. What about when he doesn't heal you? And I want to say, he always heals you. He may not heal you in the way that you expect to be healed. The Lord says, my ways are higher than your ways. Your ways are not my ways. He always answers our prayer. But you see, my vision of the future is not as big as his vision for the future. And sometimes he's doing something greater in and around and through me than I have eyes to see. But he always releases his power into our lives when we pray. I've had uh, Carol Greenwood, Dottie Dale, come and prayed for me in my office and anointed oil on me for my own healing, which I desperately needed in so many dimensions. And i got to tell you, even last week, uh, my small group had to pray for me and the brokenness in my life. And uh, it's, it's taken God longer than I wanted to take to get the job done. And I'm not sure he's going to do it in exactly the way I envision it, but I know this, that he's healing. And there are signs of grace in my life, and there will be in yours as well as you pray. Get into the current. Step into the stream. Ezekiel, here's the Lord say, He said to me, mortal, have you seen this? Have you seen this? He said to me, are you in the river? The third thing we learn about uh, this uh, stream is not just the source or the current, but finally the, uh, the outlet. Jesus sends us to pray for healing in our neighborhoods. That's the third point. And you know what? That's not a burden. That's an opportunity. Jesus sends you as his agent to heal in your neighborhood. And here we think about the sound and the beauty of the sound. And you're a part of what God is doing to recreate the new creation of Jesus Christ, who is himself, our health, our life. And he's got you active at work wherever you go. And we see this in verse 2. This is a river that begins so small, it's just a trickle. You could hardly believe it has any significance, just like you and I might feel when we get on the bus this week. Ah, oh, come on. George just goes off and talks about stuff, but it doesn't have any relevance for me. It's just a trickle. But follow that stream and see how God multiplies it and it builds without the benefit of any tributary. And soon it's a rushing torrent that's renewing all of creation. I can't think of a better example of that this week than our own principal organist, Joanne Stremler who lives at the heart of the worship life of this church, right there at that bench. And I've asked Joanne to be kind enough to share a few words uh, with us uh, this morning. And I know it's been a little bit of a uh, trauma just talking about this. It's been a very tough week for you. Uh, If you haven't seen the news, Joanne Stremler was at the epicenter of these horrible killings on Wednesday and uh, happened to be there. And uh, you may think accidentally, but I'm convinced that God... Uh, placed you there at that intersection because uh, he knows you belong to him and he wanted to minister and he wanted a representative of his presence at that place. And I can't for the life of me figure out how it is you found the courage to do what you what you did. I mean, you you got out of your car as someone was being killed and you moved towards that uh, crisis, risked your own life. I would have been under the floorboards or my car would have been in reverse so the first question I want to ask you is exactly what got you out of the car, Joanne? Well, actually, you would have been there. 
you would have gotten out of the car, and so would many of you. And, uh, you know, I saw the, the shooter leaving the scene, and I, I actually got out of my car and memorized the license plate, and then I literally stood in the middle of Seneca and stopped traffic and was screaming, somebody call 911. And another couple got out of their vehicle in front of mine, and the other woman and I rushed to this person because I saw a human being lying on cold cement in an open parking lot in downtown Seattle. And I knew if that had been me or someone I cared about or someone I didn't even know, that I would want that person to not be alone. And so the other woman started CPR and... Uh, and what next? Yes, I held her hand. Thank you. And um, it's not as though the media hasn't covered this story. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know, all I remember saying to the other woman, "Do you know how to do CPR?" And she had already started. And then I told her, "Well, I knew how to do it too, because I was a trained medical assistant." And um, I'm grateful for that other woman. I, I'm not really, uh, apparently her name is Betty or Betsy. We gave each other a hug and then we went our separate ways. But you did what people weren't doing. You told me there were a lot of people just standing there. And uh, even though you say any of us would do that same thing, I'm not sure that's the case. Something happened inside of you. Well, I just knew she couldn't be alone. She just couldn't be alone. And I remember looking back at Seneca and seeing what seemed like hundreds of people just lined up along the street. And I kept thinking, why isn't somebody coming with a blanket? Why isn't somebody coming with a pillow for her head? Um, but they just stood and stared. And uh, so, you know, they made their choice. If I had to do it again, I would do it. I would hope. Um, I wouldn't ask for all the media attention. Next time. It's been hard, as of the media that you've been on the national morning TV shows, Seattle local media, and this has been traumatic. This is very painful, even for you to have been that close to it. And Joanne has asked me to share that she appreciates all of people's concern here, but probably can't talk a lot about it at church today. But I'm very grateful for you to be here and share your story. That's my last question for you, really, is why are you here this week? I mean, we would have given you the day off. Uh, <laughs> Um, and yet, for some reason, you came to worship today. Well, I'm the organist at University Presbyterian <laughs> Church. We're glad about that. So I, I do need to thank you. Uh, I've gotten emails from people all over the country, and many of you. I probably won't ever be able to personally thank you for the cards and the calls and the emails. Um, and um, we've been working around Share Hope. And so I had four minutes in my life this past week to share hope with someone that I don't know. Um, I've spoken now. Her husband has contacted me, and I hope to meet uh, he and his daughters soon. And I would, I would pray that you would also pray for not only the victims' families, but also for the shooters' family as they suffer. And uh, you all come here today with your own burden. And whether you come forward for prayer or not, you each have your own story and your own passage. And uh, I would I would pray for each person in this room that you would have the courage to do 
what you need to do in your lifetime. And be sure when you go home today that you tell your husband or wife or kids or all the above that you love them because it could be the last day that you see them. Well, Joanne, uh, one thing we never want to see is one of our members on the front page of the Seattle Times crying. Uh, It's been a hard week, but we are proud of you, and we thank you for sharing a little of your story. I mean, that is so weird. Uh, It's just kind of the word that comes to mind. But the truth is, Jesus sends us out to be agents of healing in our neighborhood. And it's not nearly so dramatic as that for most of us. But I believe every one of us this week has a divine appointment with someone who needs healing. And all I want to do here as we close is just ask you to have eyes for that opportunity. To ask the Holy Spirit of Jesus to show you who it is that's hurting around you. Uh, that you could come alongside and pray with them and for them. And by the way, I, I, I would encourage you to be bold enough simply, you, you don't have to say anything at all to them just to pray for them. But, you know, it's even better if you could say, would you mind if I pray with you about this? And here you use where we began the empathy that uh, God called us to in Ezekiel uh, chapter 1 and 2, to listen for feelings and to hear where people are excited or or hurting, or have anxiety, or fear, or joy, and listen to those feelings and say, wow, I hear this feeling. Would you mind if I pray with you about that? I never, I can't even remember any time I've asked that question of someone, they've said, no, I don't want that. I mean, Gallup tells us nine out of ten Americans believe in prayer. You know, those are good odds. They're in our favor. So go ahead and reach out to somebody and just ask them, could we pray about this uh, together? And I want you to see, uh, just to, for a second, I have a, a, a math problem for you. I mean, how long would it take if each of us prayed for one person this week and then next week us and that one person prayed for one other person in Seattle and it continued on? My high school kid, the freshman in high school, she says 11 weeks is how long it would take to reach the population of greater metro Seattle, 3.3 million people. In 11 weeks, before Labor Day, we could be praying personally, by name, specifically for every single person in the Puget Sound area. Now, that would be a beautiful thing. And and I believe God is calling us to do something similar. And I want you to see where this whole book of Ezekiel ends. If you have your Bible open, just flip over to the very last sentence of the whole book. Here's what God says, his final promise. And the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. That, friends, is our commission. That is God's promise over us, over Seattle. The book of James tells us this in chapter 5. Are there any among you suffering? Oh, they should pray. Are any cheerful? Oh, they should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The Spirit of Jesus is among us and eager and ready to do that. And I don't know what healing looks like in your life. It might be that it's time for you to acknowledge new faith in Jesus Christ and know that you belong to him might be that the Lord is ready to release you from slavery to some addiction. It might be that it's time for you to find and receive and share forgiveness, a root of bitterness being surfaced and removed from your life. It might be that there's something physical and you've received a diagnosis and it's 
too deep. The waters are too deep for you to swim in, in the fear of that. Maybe that you just need to love again. Jesus doesn't uh, honor our wishes or our happy thoughts. He invites us to pray and to tell us what we want him to do for us. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.